Anybody remember the Staples Easy Button campaign? They actually had these little buttons you could buy, the Easy Button, you could tap it and put, I love that. I wish there was an Easy Button for life, don't you? I think of all the things that I could get done and all the time I could save with just a little tap. But that's not the way it works, unfortunately. We all know that. There's no easy button. It'd be nice. It's a dream. And that's why I think we try to invent our own easy buttons sometimes. And we put our hopes, we put our confidence in, in something. If we could just get this, if we could do that, if this would fall into place, then our lives would be so much easier. Like the lottery. I hope we all know nobody's going to win the lottery. It's like one in a trillion chance or whatever. But you always get that one person that thinks, this is my ticket. And if I could just win the lottery, if I could just get this money, man, all my life's problems would be over. Life would be so much easier. And you know what? Some of the stuff would be easier. But a lot of our problems would still persist. Or medicine. We, we sometimes try to turn medicine into an easy button. And we think, if I could just get this medication, or if I take this pill, or if I could have this procedure, or if I could get this condition under control, then my life would be so much better. And parts of our life probably would be better. But most of our problems are going to continue to persist. Probably the oldest makeshift easy button in human history is religion. If I get on God's good side, if I do what I'm supposed to, if I follow him and I'm faithful, then he will bless me. And my life will be a little better. It'll be a little easier. I won't have to deal with quite so many problems. And you know what? There are certain things that do become a lot easier because of faith, but it certainly doesn't deal with all life's difficulties. Problems continue and they persist. And even those of us who know that's not the way faith works, there's still this subconscious part of it that kind of thinks it should, which is why we're still a little shocked or surprised when difficulty encroaches upon our lives or hardships overtake us. Come on, God, what's going on? I thought things were going to be a little easier. I thought that you were kind. I, th I thought that you loved me. Why is all this junk happening? This is a common experience. And it's given rise to some of the, the great philosophical questions of the age. If God is good, why does evil persist? If God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he just fix the problems? We talk about it more personally in our own lives. God, if Christianity is true, why do I have to deal with all this junk right now? We're all looking for an easy button. The easy button that doesn't exist. And this isn't even a unique experience in our day and age. This is a very ancient experience. There, there's something in the human heart that seems to yearn for a utopia where the problems are solved and the difficulties are made easy and, and, and we don't have to deal with the junk. We yearn for that. And we can see how old this yearning is in our passage this morning. It goes back to the New Testament. It goes back further than that. But we're going to be looking at the New Testament era today as we continue this series called A Year-ish with Jesus. For the last nine months or so, we've been working through the book of Matthew, looking at Jesus and his teachings and his life and just learning from him. And today we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Matthew 17. And we can bring the lights up just a little bit in the room so people can see those Bibles. But Matthew chapter 17 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, as always, you can follow along on the screen behind or download the FCC Mammoth app to your mobile device. There's a little button in the bottom right-hand corner. It says Sunday. It's got everything you need to get the most out of our time together today. Right now, you're going to want to tap the sermon notes button where you'll find our passage and an outline already in place for you to follow along with. 
Now, like we said, this is an ancient yearning. There's just something in the human heart that yearns for an easy button, so to speak. But the reality is, there is no easy button. And we sometimes we look to faith, hoping it will make things easier. It doesn't always. There is often a tension between the expectations of our faith and the truths of reality. There's just this tension that we live with. Now, before we jump into Matthew chapter 17, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16, how that ends, just to kind of get some context and some bearing for our story this morning. Uh, Just as a reminder, Matthew 16 ends with Jesus, with his disciples, kind of beginning the last leg of his ministry. And he just pulls back the curtain and he says, all right, fellas, here's everything that we have in store for us over the next six months to a year. I'm going to be betrayed by the Jewish leaders. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised again on the third day. That's quite a bit of information to take in. And it hits the disciples especially hard for a few different reasons. One of them we can probably understand right away. This was their rabbi, their teacher, their friend. And they had spent almost every moment of every day over the last two, two and a half years with this guy. And now he's saying to them, I'm going to die. I think that would hit any of us pretty hard. And we take the news especially poorly. And they do. It hits them right here in the heart. But there's another reason for their disappointment that we don't get immediately. It has a lot to do with the expectations of their faith in the first century. You see, in first century Judaism, there was this expectation that God was going to act in a very big and a very significant, specific kind of way. He was going to send a Messiah. And the Messiah was a man who was to be a savior and a deliverer for God's people. But there was a very specific kind of deliverance they expected. He was going to be a revolutionary. And he was going to drive the Romans out of Israel. And he was going to establish a a geopolitical kingdom on earth That was going to be God's kingdom. And this Messiah would sit on a throne in Jerusalem, and he would rule and usher in an age of prosperity and an age of security and an age of of goodness and righteousness. They had a very specific expectation. The last thing anybody expected the Messiah to do was die. That wasn't anywhere on anybody's radar. In fact, if we were to get out of the Bible and go look in a history book, we'd find about the century preceding Jesus, all the way up to about 70, 40 years after Jesus dies, about the year 70 AD, even beyond that, I'd say. So probably within two centuries, there are several figures that emerge in the Jewish uh, uh, people who are thought to be the Messiah because they started these revolutionary movements. And some of them actually got pretty big. One of them got so big that the Romans had to come and squash it. But all of these revolutionary movements at some point eventually ended because the leader died. And nobody expected the Messiah to die. And so after the key figure passed away, usually he was executed or killed in battle, their movement just dissipated and ceased to exist. Because nobody expected the Messiah to die. That's not what was supposed to happen. So here's Jesus telling these fellows, hey, all of your hopes, all of your expectations, everything you've been hoping for over the last two, two and a half years, uh, it's just not going to happen. Imagine how that must have hit them. I mean, that's like getting socked in the gut. But it actually got more intense than that even. Because as Jesus is explaining all of this, in chapter 16, he says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their own cross 
and follow me. So not only are all their hopes and dreams for the nation going to fall apart, Jesus is telling these guys, if you want to continue to follow me, you're going to have to take up your own cross, metaphorically. You're going to have to embrace your own suffering and your own hardships and walk this same road. That's not what they signed up for, gang. They signed up for glory and honor and praise and prosperity and banners waving through the air. They didn't sign up for hardships and difficulties and suffering and self-sacrifice and self-denial. This is like a, a, just a punch in the gut for these guys. They had this expectation for their faith, but it just didn't jive with the reality that they lived in. And we can resonate with that. I talk about, imagine how these guys must have felt. We really don't have to imagine that hard because we've all probably had that same experience, probably to a lesser degree, not quite as extreme, but we all have these expectations of faith. There's just going to be good times, and it's going to be love, and I'm going to be built up and encouraged, and we talk about all this stuff in church all the time, being filled with the Spirit and the joy of the Lord, and we have a certain expectation. Things are going to be good and great and easy, and then there's the truths of reality where life steps in and punches you in the gut, and it gets kind of hard. You know, we, we pray because we're sick, or we pray because somebody we love is sick, and we come to God in faith, but they, they don't seem to get better, we don't seem to get better. Or, you know, bills keep piling up, and my paycheck keeps seem, seeming to shrink smaller and smaller, and I'm praying, God, help me get out of this hole, but nothing seems to be changing. We've had circumstances like that, where we have put our trust, and we put our hope and our faith in God to, to fix the situation, and nothing seems to improve. We have expectations of our faith. The truth of reality seems to create a tension. If you've never had an experience like that, or maybe you're having a hard time identifying it, uh, I'll tell you a story of a lady named Debbie Wilson. Debbie uh, is a Christian author, uh, and she wrote a book. It's called Big God, Little Faith. And shortly after the release of that book, she started to go through the ringer. Uh, she has a sister who came down with influenza, which for most people would, wouldn't be a big deal, but because of underlying health conditions that put her sister's heart at severe risk. And so Debbie prayed and she prayed and she prayed for her sister. And she got over the flu. And then a week later, she had a heart attack anyway. What gifts, God? I thought things were supposed to be a little smoother here. Debbie has a friend uh, who has cancer, and they get together weekly just to pray. They pray for healing, they pray for strength, they pray for doctors. And they are faithful ladies, and yet every time another scan comes back, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. God, what's the deal? We're trusting in you like you ask us to. Why aren't things getting better? Debbie was upstairs in her bedroom asleep one night. She woke up to just this big storm whirling around outside. And so she took shelter in the basement and she prayed for safety and protection. And then a tree crashed through her bedroom window, destroyed her house. God, what the heck? I thought you were going to protect us, that you were going to keep us safe. What is going on here? And maybe we've had similar experiences. You know, we have these expectations of our faith but they're at tensions with the reality that we live in. But it's not all doom and gloom, okay? It's not that God doesn't hear, that he doesn't care. He certainly doesn't abandon us. Even though he may not fix the problems, he does provide us with what we're going to call glimpses of glory to temper the harshness of reality. And that's where our story comes in this morning. Matthew chapter 17, it picks up six days after our last 
uh, passage. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a, a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, which just means he was transformed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And we'll just pause there for a minute. So six days after their whole world has been shattered, and their deepest, dar- or not darkest, but their deepest desires and longings has just been crushed, Jesus says to his three closest disciples, I want you guys to come with me on a trip. I want to show you something. And he takes them up to a mountain, and he's transformed. And there's a lot happening in this scene, the scene that we call the transfiguration. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. Because together, these different elements paint a really specific picture with a really specific message. The first thing we're going to point out is Moses and Elijah appear beside Jesus. Who are these guys? Well, Moses, if you're not aware, Moses was sort of the key central figure in the early days of the Old Testament. It is through Moses that God led the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery And it's through Moses that God introduced the law, all the commandments that the Israelites were supposed to live by. And it's through Moses that God instituted the covenant with his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. So Moses is like the key identifying figure in the establishment of the Israelite nation. He also is crucial to the law, the most sacred commandments of God that every Israelite was supposed to live by. So he's the law. And then we've got this other guy, Elijah. Elijah lived uh, probably between seven, eight hundred years before Jesus at a time when the Israelites were wildly unfaithful. I mean, all you had to do was show them a false god or an idol, and they were all in. Like, they, they were not faithful to the covenant at all. And so God sent Elijah to call the people to repentance. And Elijah was considered by many Israelites to be the greatest among the Old Testament prophets. So he sort of represents them as a whole and all of their writings, the message that they gave to the people from God. So you've got two crucial figures, one representing the law that God revealed, one representing the prophets that God revealed. So all of God's revealed testimony to his people are in this moment affirming Jesus and his ministry, this ministry that was so problematic to the expectations of his followers. Then we've got the second element. We've got this great cloud that shows up. And a cloud in the Old Testament is almost always something that, that symbolizes the glory of God showing up. And out of this glorious cloud comes God's voice. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And those words are very, very similar to what God said previously early on in Jesus' ministry when he was baptized. If you remember John, I think it's chapter 3, Jesus went down into the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptized him. Jesus came up. Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And from the sky, voice spoke, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. So it's almost as if God is saying, hey, this guy who you followed so eagerly at the beginning of his ministry, still the same guy. Nothing has changed. It's still my son, still pleased, still love him. 
still 100% approve of his mission and his ministry, even if it clashes with your expectations. And then to sort of drive the point home, God adds a little bit extra on the end. He says, listen to him. A little extra voice of authority affirming what Jesus is saying. So you've got these two different pictures speaking to these disciples who are so troubled because of the tensions of the world, or the tension they face between their expectations and, and reality. And then to sum it all up, you've got Jesus himself. And he's transformed. And he has this white gown, well, not a gown, this white uh, cloak, tunic. Uh, He's glowing with radiance. The language and the imagery in this picture is very reminiscent of the Old Testament when it talks about angelic figures or divine figures, heavenly scenes. It's very reminiscent of Jesus as he appears in the book of Revelation. Uh, when he appears to John in a vision, he's got feet of bronze and eyes like fire and a glowing white gown and, and a gold sash. All of this is divine imagery, this glorious imagery. Jesus is appearing before the disciples in, in a little bit, a glimpse of the glory that awaits him, if you will, a glimpse of glory. And this is really important because the disciples, they heard what Jesus said, I will die and then I'll be raised again on the third day. But they sort of stopped listening after the I'm going to die part. And they were distraught and they were dismayed and they were disillusioned, completely forgetting that's not where the story ends. It doesn't end with a cross. It ends with an empty tomb and with resurrection. It ends with glory. That's the end of the story. And in this little snippet, this little glimpse, Jesus is sort of reminding them visually, everything is as it should be, and this is what awaits. This transfiguration, it's a very important moment and a very encouraging picture, both for the disciples as well as for us. Because oftentimes we can get stuck in the difficulties of life and in this tension and forget this isn't where the story ends. Yes, God didn't fix the problem. He didn't solve my difficulties. I'm still going through the ringer. But that's not where the story ends. Jesus reminds us himself in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says this, In this world, you will have trouble, period. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have difficulties. It is unavoidable. But that's not the end of the story. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The troubles of today are not the end of the story. And the difficulties that we deal with in reality are not where our tale ends. There is more to come. We long for this utopia. We long for this day when when the problems are fixed, right? When the problems cease and the difficulties disappear. And that day will come. It will come when Jesus appears in all of his glory. Not a glimpse of it, but poured out fully. It will come when all things are made new. It will come when the plans and the purposes of God reach their fulfillment and Jesus restores all things. That day will come. That's the end of the story. We're just not there yet. So until then, God gives us little glimpses of glory, little pictures, little experiences, little little previews of the things to come, not to fix our problems, but to encourage us. You think about Debbie Wilson, for instance, that lady we spoke about earlier. She prayed and prayed and prayed that her sister would be spared, and yet she still had a heart attack. What gives? Well, that's not the end of the story. Yes, she had difficulties, 
But she came through that heart attack. And she is on the mend. And she is recovering. And God has shown mercy in that situation. He has sustained her. Even if it wasn't what they expected. Here's a glimpse of his glory. Or you think about her friend who has cancer. They pray and they pray and they pray, but every scan comes back a little bit worse. God, what's going on? Well, that's not the end of the story. They pray, and yeah, the scans come back worse. That's not what we wanted. But her friend continues to have joy, and she continues to have peace. She continues to have contentment. They pray, and then they sing, and then they laugh. And then she writes, usually we laugh at our singing. And her friend is, is at peace because she has the hope of that day that is to come. Maybe it's not what we wanted, but you know what? Here's a little glimpse of glory. Here is God sustaining and encouraging somebody in a hardship. Or take that tree that crashed through her window. God, I prayed for protection, and now my house got all smashed up. But you know what? Her family was entirely unscathed. They were all safe. They were all fine. Houses can be repaired. People cannot be replaced. Here's a little glimpse of glory. Maybe it's not what you wanted, but here's a little something to get you through. I protected you and I sustained you through the difficulty and the danger of that storm. In our own lives, we want the easy button. We want the problems to disappear. We want the difficulties to be fixed. We want utopia. We want this promise of a life that is unscathed and untouched by sin. And someday, that will happen, but it's not today. Right now, we live in a world that has fallen in which we are not owed God's grace. All we are owed is our wage, what we earn. And Romans chapter 3 reminds us the wages of sin, he calls it death, complete and total separation from God. That's what we've earned. But God doesn't want that to be the end of the story. And so he sent his son to die on that cross, to atone for our sin. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. To draw us closer to him, to fulfill us, to sustain us. Forever and ever and ever through the work that he accomplished. That's the good news of God's mercy. He has given us a tremendous glimpse of things to come in Jesus Christ. And he continues to show us his graces and his compassion by giving little glimpses of glory to us in the midst of our hardships today. Even if those glimpses of glory don't change reality, they do temper the harshness of reality. They encourage us to keep moving forward. And even though they don't change reality, they do change something. These little glimpses of glory, they're meant to change us rather than our circumstances. And we see that in the story as well as it starts to wrap up. You go back to Peter, James, and John, verse 6. It says, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Moses, Elijah, they're gone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So this whole experience, understandably, has been terrifying. I think we would all react pretty much the same way. The disciples have to avert their eyes. They're looking down. And when they do manage to finally get the courage to look up, nothing's changed. Like all the glory, all the cloud, Moses, Elijah, it's all gone. It went as quickly as it came. And all that remains is, is just Jesus. Humble, mortal Jesus as they've always known him. All that remains is life as they've always known it. The circumstances haven't changed. Jesus is still talking about resurrection, implying that he still has to die. Nothing has changed about their circumstances. But the disciples do seem a little different. 
They're still going to get very confused when Jesus talks about resurrection. They're still going to get very down and, and depressed whenever he mentions his impending death in a few chapters. But nobody pulls him aside like last time. Nobody says, Jesus, we will never let this happen. What are you doing? You can't do this. Nobody protests. There's a difference in them. They're willing to accept this is how things have to be. It is a change, even if it's a subtle one. And these glimpses of glory, they they seem to work very similarly in our lives. They're not meant to change our circumstances. They're not meant to be an easy button that fixes our problems and makes things go down smooth. They do, however, encourage us, and they change us. And the purpose isn't even to make us stronger. The purpose is to make us more faithful. Because strength is not found in self-sufficiency and our ability to weather out the storm ourselves. Strength is found in relying on Him, trusting in Him, even when the storms of life rage. Real strength isn't a matter of being independent. It's a matter of being dependent on Him. Faithfulness is what He seeks to cultivate in us. And that's what these little glimpses of glory seem to do. There's a lady named, uh, I always get her name wrong. It's an unusual name. Glennis, Glennis Whitwer. She has a blog, uh, just kind of chronological, telling her story. That's the word I want. But Glennis tells this story. She and her husband, uh, they had three kids. And they felt this, this call from God to adopt. So they started, you know, searching and exploring that option. And they came across two little girls in Africa uh, who they just fell in love with. And they just felt this strong call from God to open up their home and to bring these little girls in and increase their family. And so they did. It was expensive. It was costly in in different ways. It was difficult. But they felt this is exactly what God wants us to do. So they brought these little girls in. And you would, they were prepared. They knew it wasn't going to be entirely easy. You know, there'd be good times, there'd be hard times. They thought they were prepared. And Glennis writes this. She says, The joy of bringing these precious little girls into their forever home was overflowing for about a week. Then reality set in. Now, you would think God put this on their heart. They were faithful. They obeyed. He would bless this circumstance. That was the expectation of their faith. The reality is quite different. These little girls had been abused and neglected in early and formative years of their life. And so they carried a lot of hurt. And that hurt manifests in some very um, outward and destructive and hurtful ways. And that was a hard adjustment for a family that already has three kids. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they went to counselors, and they went to treatment centers. And weeks turned into months, months turned into years. Glennis said, our house rather than being this harmonious, blessed abode, became a tinderbox ready to explode. And oftentimes it did. It was hard. And Glennis and her husband were both at the end of their rope, and they were questioning God. Did we do something wrong? Did we misunderstand? Like, we thought that this would be very different because we felt this is what you were calling us to do. So what gives? The tension, very present, very palpable. And then Glennis had this little glimpse of glory moment. It really wasn't one moment. It was a series of moments just experienced by reading Scripture. God sort of just brought her to an understanding that it wasn't her job to fix her daughters. Her job was to love her daughters and to show them His love. The fixing, that was His job and His time. And that was really something Glennis had never, like she knew it, but it clicked in a new way. 
And I wish I could tell you after that moment, like everything got better and the girls were healed and there was progress, but there are still good days and there are bad days. And there are ups and there are downs. But through this process, Glennis was changed. And she was changed into somebody that has a little more patience and a little more peace, a little more understanding, beats herself up a little bit less whenever there are those explosive moments. Because she's trusting, you know what? All I have to do is love these girls. God's the one that's going to work on their heart and bring healing. She was changed into somebody a little more faithful. And that's the purpose that these serve in our lives. We pray and we pray and we pray in the hard times. We're sick. Somebody we love is sick. And we hope and we hope that there will be healing. There will be an easy button that we can push. Maybe it won't happen. But you know what? We can keep trusting that someday there will be healing. Someday there will be fulfillment. Someday their problems will disappear. Maybe we're in a financial hardship and we feel a little claustrophobic right now. And we're praying and we're praying for something to come through. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But there are these little glimpses of glory to encourage and remind us there is a day when we will experience the full abundance of what God has to offer. Faith isn't an easy button that fixes our problems. But faith is something that reminds us that there is a day coming when the problems will cease, when sin is defeated, when goodness reigns and is the norm. And we long and we hope for that day. And until then, He encourages us. He changes us. The little glimpses of glory in our life. Jesus promised us, in this life you will have trouble. I wish he hadn't said that. I wish he said, in this life you will have the easy button. That's what I want. But that's not what he said. In this life you will have trouble. But that's not the end of the story. Take heart. Because he has overcome this world. And if the gospel is true and Christ is raised, then the rest of the story has already been written. And until we get there, these little glimpses of glory, these mercies from God, may they fill your life, may they encourage you and sustain you as we keep pushing forward and abiding in Him. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We are not owed a thing. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. But we humble ourselves before you and we thank you for the gift that comes to us through Christ and your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the mercies that you give us and show us in these little glimpses of your glory, these encouraging reminders that you are there, you've not abandoned us, you are sustaining us, you are protecting us, and you have secured a victory for us. And someday we will taste the fullness of what you've done and purchased for us. Until then, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would continue to grow in our faith, that we would continue to trust and rely upon you above all else, and that the grace that comes through the name of Jesus would wash over us, it would make us new, it would revive us and sustain us and fulfill us and increase our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.